And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Oh, I say! It's amazing! He does it time and time and time again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! Snooker's 12th man, slide tackles, the absurd pseudo-psychology of brightly coloured goalkeeper kits, penalty shootouts, tiny shin pads and the future prospect of a Champions League semi-final romance. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 67 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me, he's back and he's fresh from, and I quote, a costume fitting on the other side of town, it's James McNicholas. Hello. <laughs> you know, I'm not supposed to air that stuff because, you know, as far as everyone else is concerned, I'm doing really important football things. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, it amazes me how many um, how many uh, strings you have to your bow. It, it makes me feel very inadequate every time I even anywhere close to you. At, when, at the time when you sent me that message, I thought this is the most elaborate cover story he's ever had. Yeah, to politely decline an appearance on the football cliche. Because I always I am I have politely declined a few times, and as I was writing, mm. I thought this doesn't sound plausible. <laughs> it sounds like I've just made it up. But I'm here now, and that's what counts. I got you with the old, uh, oh, we can do it later if you like. Impossible you, you to get you out of that one. You can't yeah. get out of it. No, I've set the parameters, it. and I've now got to fall into the trap. Uh, I'll ask you again in six months, and so you've got until then. Later on in the show, can I call it a show? I've never called it a show before. Producer Dave presumably seething with anger. I've never called it a show before. Later on in the podcast, uh, we have Mesut Harland Dix, and we have a very special star guest for that. But first of all, James, I want to do the adjudication panel. Uh, I've got some very, very topical pressing issues to discuss okay. with you. Actually, the first first one, we're very late with this. Uh, this um, I should have discussed this last week, but I can't possibly resist. Snooker ace Sean Murphy was on Ellis James and John Robbins podcast the other day, and he had this to say about the knowledgeable crucible crowd. I suppose in my own, from a selfish point of view, I can't wait for the crowds to return and hopefully be that 12th man for me. <laughs> Where do we start? I mean... <laughs> I think I like it. I actually think I'm in favour of it now I've had time to digest it. There's so, there's so much to take in there. I mean, uh, to, to be honest, uh, it was the idea that a snooker crowd was lending support that hit me first. Where the other 10 men had gone, I only thought about that after the fact. When I tweeted this the other day, someone pointed out that um, a snooker crowd could conceivably suck the ball into the pocket. True. Very true. Like the cop. Could work. Yeah, I mean, that... Yeah. That is, it, it's sort of comforting, isn't it, to know that athletes, athletes, is that the word? Sportsmen will say, <laughs> sportsmen will say in other disciplines, feel and, you know, value the presence of a crowd, even in situations where it doesn't appear to be having any discernible effect. But it, it was also his reference to them being the 12th man. Mm. I, I, I didn't know that that, that that layer of football speak crossed the streams, so to speak, in sport. I mean, surely we, surely they're just the second man, aren't they, in snooker? Yeah, but it doesn't sound quite as good, does it? I mean, he, he's counting himself as 11 there, which 
you know, shows he's got a high opinion of himself. I think, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. It's just a great example of language bleeding into the wrong world. I, I just love the fact that football is the master language and everything just has to feed from it downwards. <laughs> Sorry, snooker. I don't know. Like if got in rugby, cliches. do they talk about a 16th man? Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, they're all too polite, aren't they, the crowd? I mean, hmm. maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they don't so much offer kind of moral, audible support as offer you a consultancy job in 20 years' time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the 16th man in rugby. An ongoing theme for the Football Clichés podcast, James. This is Scottish co-commentators, part 1,549. Here we go. Now Medina takes the shot. What a goal! Jesus Medina! Gets his second of the day. A beautiful shot that curls into the top corner. And New York City has five. I mean, this is just brilliant from Jesus Medina. Confidence flowing through the veins. And it's a beautiful strike. Cincinnati switch off. And you can't afford to do that with quality. But what about that for a strike? I mean, it's just beautiful. He whips it into the far corner. Cropper can't get a hand onto it. And in the back of the net it goes. Cropper's completely disappointed with his defense. They don't close down quick enough. And if you don't do that to a player of his ability, Jesus Medina will punish you. And that's what he does. What a goal. What a performance. And again, Joe. Uh, James, this is this is CBS Sports co-commentator Ian Joy, and that is his real name. It's just <laughs> there are so many layers to it. I mean, this is we're talking about I mean, it's a bit it's an incredibly good goal. At, not taking anything away from the finish, so he was no. rightly excited about that. But this was the fifth goal in a 5-0 win for New York City FC over FC Cincinnati. Lots of C's there. Just incredible Scottish co-commentary. I've, I want him in the Premier League immediately. I think so, yeah. Shades of, you know, kind of Andy Gray, I think, in that. I wonder, is, it, is that inspired by the fact that goals... You know, they get clipped up and they get shared on social media. So even if it is the fifth goal, maybe he recognised, look, this is going to be shared in isolation. I need my commentary okay. to be on its A game here. Like a 21st century co-commentary. Interesting. Yeah, I yeah, wonder. I think of it like He's that. gaming the you system. You never know. You never know when your goal clip may go viral. But yes, Ian Joy. If, if anyone was expecting me to lay into Ian Joy here, I'm not going to. First of all, brilliant name. Secondly, brilliant commentary. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you to you, Ian Joy. I'm going to keep saying his name because I really like it. Um, <laughs> finally, James. Finally, James. Uh, this week, we were exposed to what I believe is the slight tedium of the Budweiser Premier League Hall of Fame. Now, it's obviously an overtly American concept, which, and they obviously have no shortage of superlatives. But over here, I, I feel like I can't be the only one feeling a little bit of fatigue when it comes to discussing the greatest players of the Premier League era. I mean, even you, aren't you even just slightly bored of reflecting on Thierry Henry's Arsenal days? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I sort of, you know, I think I've had my fill now. I mean, listen, I love Thierry as a player. He's a really intelligent, smart guy and was a phenomenal footballer. But how many times can we talk about, you know, the goal against yes. United? or? Yes. You know, the celebration. All the other finishes that were exactly the same. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. It, I, I feel like this has been done to death as an idea. You know, the Premier League's best players. And also, starting with Shearer and Henri. I mean, of course, the inaugural entries have got to be kind of obvious, I suppose. But how much more interesting would it have been if they'd gone for Benito Carbone? You know, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe do like the more obscure ones first, just to get just to get your blood pumping. But there's, I don't know. I mean, with all the greatest respect to the greatest players in Premier League history, no, none of them, none of them get my heart racing anymore because we've spoken about them so much. It's 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 just it's a fascinating level of mundane football chat that I just I can't get my head around. Yeah, um, just sort just of going. Yeah, they yeah they were good actually. Yeah, just just a great great player, great times, fantastic. I I yeah, love anyway. this. Uh, do you remember Sky used to do a show um, where it was? I think it was called Fantasy Football or something like that, um, yeah. and where players would go on and they would pick their best eleven of players they played with. And I, I'm fascinated by the language that players use about other players in those situations. Like, there's always an exchange where, like, they'll be doing their central midfield and they'll write down like Gascoigne or something, and they'll go, "How good was he?" 
<laughs> and then they go, <laughs> what a player but, he was, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. What a player he was, best I play with. In training, if you thought he was good in games, you should have seen some of the stuff he did in training. I love these, like the way pros talk about fellow pros. And there's certain players that always crop up. Gascoigne, obviously, Paul McGrath, didn't train. Didn't train Monday to Friday. Should have seen him at the weekend. So I've gone off on a tangent here, but I'm just obsessed yeah, no, with the the way that footballers discuss other footballers. And I feel like there's almost something too vanilla about Henri and Shearer as choices. Mm. Yeah, I just feel like we've heard everything we could possibly have heard about their about their you know the elite levels of their playing days. I don't know. I, maybe I'm doing the whole whole project a massive disservice, but um, I just I don't know. I just I just fail to engage with it. But anyway, that's probably enough chat about the Budweiser Premier League Hall of Fame. And speaking of fame, our guest this week for Mesut Harland Dix. She, not only is she the first Football Clichés guest to feature on my Spotify playlist, but she's also the first to only go by one name, which is the mark of truest class. Welcome to you, Shura. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry, I just did a silly voice there. How are you doing? I am clinging on like we all are, like we all are, I think, at this point. Uh... Yeah, but I'm 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 somehow happy and healthy, fifty percent of the time. Delighted to have reunited you and James McNicholas uh, ten years or so after you appeared in a play. What play was this, James? Oh my God! What, I, probably several. The one I remember most clearly was a production of Much Ado About Nothing. Nice, an outdoor production. Yes, yes. In which you played guitar, I believe. It sounds um, like something I would. It, have done. I mean. They were heady days. Yeah. It's more than 10 years. It, it, it is. It I'm is not going to say how many years. It's a frightening number of years is all that we need to say. That's all we need to say. How do you feel, Adam mentioned Spotify there, as an Arsenal fan, potentially subject to a takeover from Daniel Ek, as a musician, how do you feel about Spotify? Are they the baddies? <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think that uh, the um, timing of, of of kind of the... So they've just raised, I don't know if you know, but they've just announced that they're going to raise the cost of subscriptions and the timing of it mm. around... I've seen that straight the into Arsenal. the transfer budget, Yeah, the, <laughs> the timing of that with the Arsenal takeover, I think is definitely difficult for, uh, for a lot of musicians and a lot of, a lot of creatives who are just like, excuse me, what about the 0.00? three cents per stream can we if, mm. if like if you've got enough money to buy us if you're that rich if you can buy arsenal football club can can we just can we just get paid a little a little bit more first so there's so i think there's a, a bit of that um <laughs> going on for sure one thing i'm most heartened by by the whole spotify arsenal saga as it unfolds is that daniel Eck looks like me and you james combined like like 50% <laughs> each, uh, which I'm really happy about. He really does. Yeah, the closest I'll, he is our, our billionaire child. Yeah, the closest I'll ever get to owning a Premier League football club. But let's do this. Let's get started. This is Mesut Harlandix. It's Shura. And tell us about your first fascination of football. My biggest love is the slide tackle. Mm. It's just, it's it's incredibly fun to watch. It's even more fun to do. It's They're just fantastic. And... Um, it's something that when it because I feel like it doesn't happen quite as often now as it did when I was playing, which is a, which is a great shame, mm. although I'm obviously thrilled that people are getting less injuries. Although the one time I did injure someone, they were when I was playing, uh, they were a yep. massive douchebag. And I was quite thrilled that they had to be carried off. But um, no, they, 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 were, off. They, they were they were fine. They weren't actually carried off. They did. They did have to stop. Um, but but they, I didn't break anything. I just want to. I want to put that out there right now. I did not break anything. <laughs> and I also got the ball first. I definitely got the ball first. Um, but but there's oh, just something David, about. Did you do a massive ball shape with your hands when you made the challenge? <laughs> I really hope probably, you did. I probably did. I probably yes. did. But the thing is, I probably also wanted to get them. So uh, that was fun. Mm. But I, I have this memory uh, as a, you know, when I played as a kid of kind of coming home and the, because I, I grew up in Manchester. So we, every, mm. every week I, I played in the, in the rain and, and in the mud and um, I would come home and I would have this kind of process of t chipping all the mud that was, had since dried off my legs um, and then kind of oh, unveiling nice. all these scratches and bruises. And it was kind of, 
just a, a sign that I'd done a good job as a defender that week. Um, but I but I also really love to see it. And, and as a United fan, kind of um, watching Aaron Wan-Bissaka every week, just somehow mm. pull this ball from between someone's legs, uh, which kind of sounds weird when you say it like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, I just think they're fabulous. And I, and I wish that we kind of still had more of that vibe going on. James, as Shura says, I, f- I feel like slide tackles are a kind of unique spectacle in football because they, they, for me, they kind of fulfil a holy trinity. They are incredibly satisfying to watch, you know, you know, purely aesthetics, just watching the ball get won in such a way. They're, as Shura said, they're incredibly satisfying to perform yourself. Uh, the, the thrill mm. of not only winning the ball, but taking someone out quite fairly or unfairly, also very satisfying. And also they're, they're universally quite accessible. I feel like anyone could... P- pull off a slide tackle it, the, the margin <laughs> for error that the, um, that you require is is quite large we're not talking about a volley over your shoulder so I think it ticks so many boxes yeah I think you're right it's like one of those things you see at every level of the game you know what yes. I mean you get it at the highest highest level and you get it on Sunday league too and there's some sort of skill sets that that does not apply to but I liked what you said about the, the the ball gesture after the slide tackle. That's the, the you must immediately jump to your feet, do the ball gesture, and then it is the job of your teammates to point at the ball. <laughs> they that's sort of they're like the backing dancers in that particular move, and they all point at the ball, you know, and look at the referee imploringly. But yeah, I mean, look, this, it, it is incredibly satisfying, and it can be, you know, you hear sliding tackle, you think of something quite crunchy but in the case of say Wambasaka it can be actually quite a graceful delicate thing you know the extension of a telescopic leg I I asked our listeners about the the kind of various types of tackling that they they particularly love um Jordan Wright says Marco Verratti's signature scoop tackle where he manages to keep possession after tackling a player is extremely satisfying so we're talking about the way a player will hook the ball sort of away and then and then and then sort of come out and on his feet with the ball already in possession. So this kind of just the whole package. And this this phenomenon for this for Verratti is so pronounced that he has a five and a half minute YouTube compilation to the soundtrack of Kendrick Lamar, which is which is really is the benchmark for any move. I think sure. I'm literally I'm literally googling it so that I can watch it as soon as this is over, uh, because that's right up my Strasse so to speak yeah after five and a half minutes i don't know how intrigued i'd be but um the first minute or so definitely very satisfying <laughs> um, james afc 27 writes and says phil jones scrambling on the floor like prime Gollum to tackle Giroud with his head um yeah i mean i feel like sort of head-based tackling is, a, is an underrated art form yeah john terry was a particular exponent of that i seem to recall mm. there's something very desperate about that i mean it's sort of the opposite of elegance isn't it being but essentially like some sort of footballing slug along the <laughs> ground you know trying to knock it with your with your head with your bounce away from the, the opponent um yeah phil jones i can see that and he's got the facial expressions to match mm. it as well it must be quite a sight in full flow yeah yeah so, sure i mean Based on what I can see of your footballing experience, uh, it, it was your kind of scrappiness and tackling ability how you got scouted for Manchester City at the age of eight? Bizarrely, no. That was something I discovered that I was hmm. fantastic at later. Um, I was scouted at a mixed tournament at primary school um, where I hmm. I still remember just dribbled around four or five boys and scored a goal and... Um, it it was probably my greatest ever footballing moment. I peaked too early. That's the, that's why I'm a musician now. I peaked too soon. Uh, but um, I remember kind of yeah scoring that goal. And at the end, these two women ran up to me and my dad was like, "Do you want to play for Manchester City?" And I didn't even even as a United fan, I didn't even hesitate for one second. I just looked up and was like, "Yes." And that was sort of how that began is that how scouting works i had no idea i mean um, um maybe i need to get more into the industry james but i didn't realize that scouting just went as straightforwardly as that that sounds fantastic sounds sounds like a really easy transaction it's never happened to me but then i've got no talent so i think it's just uh, i think uh, with women's football it's it's probably also a bit different <laughs> literally like scouting the primary schools being like does any woman play at that time at least at that time what a great time to decide to, to dribble it around an entire team and stick it into the top corner. I know, convenient. How good, has, how good has that, how much better has that goal got over the years since it happened, do you think? Um, I feel like that's a that's a kind of like a personal it's probably, thing. It like, was probably yeah. three people that I dribbled around, but I've made it five in the in the, in the the 20 years Fine. that have passed. Yeah, 
that's a reasonable factor. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. Um, okay. So we so we have you down as a as a as a frankly a uh, hatchet woman is is the best way to describe it in your playing <laughs> I style. I love that. <laughs> Have ever I been described that. as a hatchet woman? You have now. Um, <laughs> but tell us, tell us about your second dear love of football. I'm going to just say David Seaman's Euro 96 goalkeeping kit. I love goalie kits, but it's just that kit is the best kit I have ever seen in my life. I had it. I really wanted to be a goalkeeper. And then, oh, really? And in fact, that, that, that was my first position and I had to stop once the goals kept getting taller and I didn't. Um, but that, mm. I just love that kit. It's it's fantastic, and I I wish we had more of those kind of just awful, just over the top, ridiculous kind of. But it's just it's just fantastic, and the moustache definitely added to it for sure. <laughs> it just really rounds it off, James. Yeah. I mean, as particularly good humoured as David Seaman is, like permanently. Mm. He still doesn't strike me as the man who can really pull off a kit like that from head to toe. No, I wouldn't imagine he was consulted during the design <laughs> process. I think he would have gone for something slightly more plain. If I recall correctly, was it compared to a packet of refreshers? I, I try to remember Seems what the remember, was. Yeah, refreshers may well have been it. A, yeah, A tabloid maybe made the link with the, uh, the sweet refreshers, which... You may remember or not. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he would have gone for that kit. But that was a great era for goalie kits. I remember around 95, 96, Shaka Hislop had a, a Newcastle kit that I loved so much that I went and bought it, even though I was not a Newcastle Was that the Sunset one? Or a goalkeeper. Time. Exactly oh, that one. I'm, I'm looking it up Stunning. right now. <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, get yourself on eBay. I bet it's worth thousands now, something like oh, that. I think, basically, I've, I've, I've looked into this, Shura, and I think there's kind of like a bell curve of extravagance when it comes to goalkeeper kits. Um, throughout yes. history, there has been an, an accepted standard colour for goalkeeper shirts. Green, oddly. Yellow maybe got into the equation for camouflage. Yeah, or, yeah. or like black if you were really good enough and like had to, you know, elevated status of fearsomeness like Lev Yashin or something like that and then it exploded out of nowhere sort of in the early 90s and we had an absurd array of colours some of them coming in with kind of vague theories of of psychology that, that it would unsettle any incoming strikers and then I feel like we've gone we've gone back down again towards kind of mundane boring designs which is a real shame um I wonder if the if the pseudo psychological bullshit actually just simply got uncovered as precisely that well that's the thing I'm what I, I was I always just convinced myself that the reason that keepers had these ridiculous kits was to sort of make themselves look bigger so that in in those yeah. final moments say in a one-on-one moment the striker mm. might be more likely to panic because they can just see this neon thing careering towards them and maybe exactly. that is just complete and utter bollocks like maybe the same principle applies to stewards then James like that they're more they're more scary and more formidable proposition to deal with for for a pitch invader if they're wearing fluorescent yellow or orange. Never thought about. Does that, that mean that there, there's an sort of inevitable evolution of stewarding gear towards these highly decorative patterned goalkeeper type yes, jerseys? I would like it. that. Sure. Did just just clarify? Did you own the entire kit? The entire. I got it on Christmas Day. I I received the entire kit. And my dad, who hates football, and nice. in, spent, in fact spent most of my childhood convincing my twin brother and my older brother to hate football also, but never saw it coming <laughs> that I would like it, um, took me to the park and uh, kicked, kicked the football at me for me to save. So, um, yeah, it was kind of yeah, one of my first really memorable Christmas presents. That's that heartwarming parenting, not loving football, but yeah. buying you the entire goalkeeping kit for England at Euro 96. <laughs> We're going to branch off very briefly into um, what I would consider to be wider goalkeeper wear now because listener Darren Leithley, James, writes in and says, Dean mm. Henderson briefly brought back the goalkeeper with baseball cap chic at Manchester United the other day. But it, but it wasn't just, it wasn't. he didn't just stick on a cap. He wore a red Manchester United cap from from the club mega store, and not only that, he wore it kind of. I can only describe it as East Seventeen style, sort of perched upon his head, rather than really, <laughs> perched, really isn't it? pulled it's on. Perched, yeah, that delicately was really balanced. Odd. Yeah, yeah, it just looks wrong. I know that. I know it's allowed, but it just looks wrong. Yeah. It no matter it what type wrong. of hat, it just looks wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand why he had it perched quite so high like that, because then surely it sort of ceases to serve its primary function of keeping the sun out of your eyes, yeah, right? Completely. Like, that's the excuse for the cap yeah. for the goalkeeper. What do you feel about tracksuit trousers on a goalkeeper, Adam? <laughs> Just by law, we are required to mention Gabo Karai here, 
who, who of course. listener Tom writes in and says, Gabor Kirai should be expunged from the memory of professional football. Wearing joggers as a goalkeeper is a joke. Um, and, and, That's it was, so I mean, funny. Gabor I Kirai wore it. massive grey tracksuit button uh, as recently as 2016, which is... Which sure just feels so wrong in the modern context of marginal gains and tiny little micro technologies. A goalkeeper wearing literally balloon-like grey tracksuit bottoms. Maybe it helps. I I personally, as a person who play, played many many days in the freezing cold, uh, think any any excuse to be able to wear an extra layer is fine by me. And, and one of the reasons I, I, I stopped playing football and, and started writing music was that it made no sense to me whatsoever that we play in the coldest months in the least amount of clothing possible. I think that everyone should be allowed to wear uh, sweatpants when playing football. <laughs> no, I kind of subscribe to that. I subscribe to the fact that people should be comfortable playing football. I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it, you know, as as proper football men would say, it kind of betrays this kind of lack of mental fortitude. If you're comfortable, you will play football better. But um, but there, um, we asked our listeners um, for odd goalkeeping wear, James, and we got some very curious replies. Johnny Sharple says, I once played five-a-side against a goalkeeper who was wearing gardening gloves. We still lost. <laughs> Um, Jay Henry. I have worn gardening gloves in an emergency situation as well. I had the reverse issue. Um, I had to do gardening in goalkeeper gloves, and it was equally it was equally inefficient. Oh my god! I'm just looking what at the photos got? of the of the sweatpants, and they're fantastic. They're massive, I love it. Absolutely, the grey. I love that they're grey as well. Just like mm. just the ones that you you kind of be chilling out in lockdown in. <laughs> I've been wearing it. those for a year. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I seem to remember this was pioneered by, you might remember this, Adam, former Chelsea goalkeeper, Dmitry Karin, um, the Russian. He he wore tracksuit trousers, well, is that were skin, right? They were sort of relatively tight and fitted. Right. Uh, he, he had socks over the top and it was, it was you know, it was, it was an acceptable look in pretty much any era. But it was, it's, it's just the, it's the sheer bagginess of the, of the great. When are we going to see the goalkeeper onesie? That's what I want to know. That's very, yes. Yeah, would work. I love More aerodynamic. That. No hem. I'm going, to, I'm going to finish this item on this note. Simon Richardson says, not quite goalkeeper wear as the person in question was outfield. Bit of a shame. But my dad used to play with a guy who wore welding gloves, no matter what the weather. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. I wouldn't go anywhere near that guy in, in any context in life, let alone on a football pitch. What's he doing? Intimidating, though. Yes, exactly. And if that's what we're looking for from a goalkeeper's outfit... Surely wear the mask as well. Yeah, <laughs> Please, a guy in a full they... suit of armour, essentially. I hope he was also wearing the mask. I really hope fantastic. he was wearing the mask. I will endeavour to find out. Thank you, Simon Richardson, but we do need some more information. Shura, tell us about love number three. Okay, I I just... I know I'm a Manchester United fan, so this is... <laughs> so this is what, probably why, but games, leagues cups semi-finals all that stuff where they're decided by goals in extra time or the very last minute I think that's one of my and, and I, it's because I'm a Manchester United fan mm. and we have Fergie time uh, which sadly maybe is not a thi- as much of a thing anymore uh, we just apparently don't play in the first half anyway um, I, I just love I love the drama of it and you know I'm not only I'm a Manchester United fan but I'm also a neutral and um, I just think it's so exciting. So I was just watching the the, the Sergio Aguero goal um, in the fifth minute of extra time against QPR, where the Premier League was decided. And I, lo- you know, my my team lost because yes, of the result. Say, how did but you put you yourself through this um, again? You just, but you can't hate it. Like, I, I, of course, as a Manchester United fan, I was sad. But but that's the fan. That's the fabulous thing about football is that. It really is not over till it's over, you know. I, you know, I've seen Solskjaer score the winning goal in 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 extra time. Like I've seen Manchester United. You can't kind of you can't get cross at it because that's why, in a way, we love the sport because mm-hmm. it can just be bonkers. And you know, you can. It's not necessarily extra time, but but I remember being at the gym and and seeing. Liverpool go 3-0 down in the in the Champions League final and being mm. like oh <laughs> walked home from the gym it was 3 all I was just like what you know I'm supposed to not like Liverpool as well as you How but smug I was, just was that thrilled. walk home from the gym to, to be honest I don't subscribe um and and you know I'll, there'll be people who say I'm not a real Manchester United fan but I really have never subscribed to hating kind of the traditional okay. and I think maybe because I did play for Manchester City so yeah. I already had that kind of dual um, affiliation but I just I've never hated Liverpool when they won the Premier League I was actually really excited I was so excited that someone new had won the Premier League um, 
uh, I have definitely gone through periods of disliking Chelsea, <laughs> but that's that's the only <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of really. That, it doesn't it doesn't really make brutal. sense. I, I'm going to get into goals in added time in a moment, but uh, I want to I want to pounce on this while I can. Do you think the idea of just being happy for other teams could catch on? I feel like it should. I feel like it should. I'd be into that as well. I mean, I think um, <laughs> I, I sometimes have to pretend to be slightly more tribal than I am because actually I'm someone who loves football quite generally and I get quite swept up in stories. And even if it is a, a rival club, I'd probably stop at Tottenham, but say a Liverpool, yeah. you know, I, I get carried away with the European nights and you'll never walk alone. I'm a sucker for all that stuff, the pageantry and the theatre of it all. Um, I fall for it every time. So, yeah, I think I think a bit of kindness wouldn't go amiss, would it, in football? I think you've got to look at it in a progressive kind of way. Some people, some traditionists would say, oh, that you're not being a proper fan, you're not looking at it the right way, you have, clearly haven't got it in your heart. What you need to respond with is that... If anything, this is cathartic. You're taking the edge off any potential disappointment by actively being happy for the team. It might work, trust me. Um, but to to return to this theme, sure, I completely I'm completely on board with the impulse of witnessing a last minute goal. No issue with that. On a, on a kind of more tactical level, I'm I'm even after all this time. Football's been around for so so long, and teams have been trying all this time to find ways of scoring goals. But why is it that when it gets to the last five minutes, everything goes out the window? All the tactics go out the window. And and they've decided that the most efficient way of scoring in the shortest amount of time is to throw everyone into the area, put the goalkeeper up, throw it into the box, no matter who this team is. It does make you wonder, are tactics just complete and utter bollocks? Like, why aren't teams <laughs> just doing that from the very start? Why, why, don't, why don't you just try that straight away? Why don't teams play like they need to score a last-minute goal straight away? I've never seen a team do it. I really want them to. I would love that. And I think there's, there's elements to kind of certainly uh, treble era Manchester United that did kind of actually <laughs> do that. I mean, they obviously scored a lot of goals in extra time, but they also scored just a lot of goals and conceded quite a few. Hmm. Um, they would just attack. And I kind of, I do love, I, I, I really did not love uh, Mourinho-era um, football, uh, did not like playing it safe I hate the kind of we're afraid to concede mentality mm -hmm. I I'm very much a proponent of high risk high reward football okay so that so that takes care of the things you you love about football but um the next bit is the far more enjoyable part tell us about things you hate or at least find mildly irritating yes I I hate penalties I I have to leave the room I have to leave the room oh, wow when yeah I have a real dis and sorry to bring this up James but I have um I remember leaving the room for Dennis Bergkamp's penalty um, against Manchester United in the FA Cup second leg um, semi-final um, because I could not bear to watch it because at that point it is just a, I think it's just chance. It's like, did they put, did they, did they put the ball in a good place mm. and did the keeper guess the right way? I just don't believe that you can, I don't believe you can save a penalty on purpose, if that makes sense. So I hate it. Interesting. It's a lottery, guys. It's a lottery. No, no, I, no. Let me stop you there. I knew we were going. Adam, we were it's a lottery. This. I knew we were going to get to this. It's a lottery. I knew we were going to get to this. No, stop. There's no skill. That it's pure maths. On this very subject, um, <laughs> um, if. I, I mean, there are so many ways that I could debunk the penalties are a lottery enduring myth, and I, I, I know it's a it's a it's a pithy thing to say, and lots of people do say it, including indeed this week St Johnston goalkeeper Xander Clark after his penalty shootout heroics against Rangers in the Scottish Cup. This is what he had to say afterwards. Oh, listen, it's you're you're focused on it, you know. It's you've sort of you're down and out, um, and it's just as I say, I always say it, a penalty shootout. It's a lottery. It's just a case of. If you've done your homework, you know you can. You give yourself a chance, um, which would be hard. And I always do my homework for the lottery every Saturday night. That's not how lotteries work. What were the numbers last week? Well, it's not going to be them again. <laughs> you've got to do your prep. What were the numbers last week? It won't be them again. Worked in 1993 only for the national lottery. <laughs> you can't be doing that in 2021. Um, uh, I just, I, I find it. It bemuses me, sure, that a professional elite level goalkeeper is still calling penalty shootouts a lottery. It is literally his job to prepare for these scenarios. Uh, no, absolutely. And of course, I'm I'm being slightly facetious when I'm saying that you don't save a penalty on purpose uh, because I think you uh, you know, and that's what these play, play, players are, are are paid for. It's mm. to to train and to watch. For, can you imagine? I, I always, I would love actually, I really would love to like watch a documentary about a footballer's life 
like the train, you know, kind of the train, like the weird parts of training, like watching, you know, imagine the person who has to watch, you know, the goalkeeper that has to watch Fernandes, how how he takes a penalty, which which side does he normally go? Like, I would love to, I would love to watch like all that weird shit. But yeah. We don't hear enough about that unglamorous side of of having to research how opponents take penalties. But to pick up on on Shura's kind of coping mechanism for dealing with penalty shootouts, which is to simply walk out of the room, James, Mm. Um, I feel like my own one, rather slightly more subtle perhaps, but when I'm watching any penalty shootout, my own team or anybody, I feel like I have developed this arrogant, groundless sixth sense for who is about to miss a penalty. And and it's almost, almost regardless of what happens next, I feel like I can just spot them. And I feel like every football fan kind of has it in them. You know, Mm. you can just tell. And it's it's something very subtle. He doesn't look confident. Yeah. He doesn't look confident. He's too big. Was it... Was it, Gra- was it Graham, Graham Lasso who missed in the Euro 96 penalty Gareth shootout Southgate. against... Oh, that was it. I always mi- mix them up for some reason. But that was awful. I think that once you see that, like, one, I think that was my earliest memory of a real kind of penalty shootout heartbreak. And from, from then on, I was just like, I'm, you know what? I'll, I'll come back when I hear someone yelling, like, one so, way or another. So it kind of just it scarred you from very young and that's it. Penalty shootouts are just, just not your thing yeah. ever since. Yeah, yeah, I just can't. I can't. I can't watch them. Okay. Yeah, so unless I'm a neutral, in which case I love it, and I think it's so, <laughs> it's complete. It's so like so. I could watch the AC Milan Liverpool shootout because I didn't have any skin in the game. I was just mm. like, this is amazing. This mm. is I mean, completely absurd that we decide that we decide competitions and and of the, of you know that magnitude as well on on penalties, which is something that kids, I mean, we used to do it on the street. We just do penalty shootouts. We just do pens. I'm like, how funny that something so important should be decided on kind of almost the first thing you do as a footballer. Yeah. Uh, It's the purest act. It's kicking a ball at a goal. In some ways, it's the ideal way to... to, But would would you take a penalty then? Oh, I never took them. I never took them. So we had this rule uh, at at Man City, which was that the uh, only people who wanted to take penalties... Uh, were allowed to take you so you had to put your 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 name in the ring and I think that's a fantastic because that's fantastic because if you don't want to and we never got to a stage where I was you know when they so they pick the first five and then and then it's sort of um you know you just go through the rest of the squad we never got to me which is (laughs) fantastic (laughs) I'd love to be a goalkeeper though I just would never want to take I'd like to because I love diving, which is related to my slide passion for slide tackling. Yeah. So I, lo- I love to be a goalie in penalty shootouts, but not. I would never want to. I would definitely spoon it over the bar for sure. In full David Seaman kit as well for extra yeah. psychological advantages. Yes. Yes. James, James, what's your penalty technique? I mean, if, 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 you were, if you were taking a penalty to save your life, what do you think you'd be doing? I mean, I'm not in goal, so you can tell me. It's fine. You're not giving it away. Um... Panenka to save oh, my really? life. Really? <laughs> no, no way. No way. I have neither the skill nor the courage. Uh, power, just power. Just kick it as hard as I possibly can. What about you? Uh, I, I, I am subscriber to the Alan Shearer slash Harry Kane technique, which is to hit it as far high and hard as you can to your to the opposite side of your natural foot. Because it just feels like that's the way the, mm. the, the body naturally curves. And you're kicking a ball. So every time I see a penalty going like that, I just think, why doesn't everybody do that? That's the way to do it. I feel like I've cracked it and nobody else has. I should I should become some sort of consultant um, based on nothing whatsoever. <laughs> um, sure, I really like... I really, really like your next hatred of football because it's, oh it's, about, as, it's about as pedantic it's completely and irrational. as it gets. Let's hear it. Um, I... At- I am irrationally irritated by Jack Graylish's tiny, tiny shin pads. Um, I just Why? can't. I I just it. I they just make me annoyed. I I firstly, where are they? I can't even really see the shin pad. Why are his socks down there? Mm. Um, it just looks so silly. It looks so silly. And um, I you know of course I I am a I'm a proponent of you know do whatever makes you feel comfortable. But mm. they are just absurd, completely absurd. And I don't see how there's any re- there's no reason for it. There's no, it's, I feel like he just wants to show his, us his calf. You know, it's just yes. like, look at my sexy calf. And I'm like, I'm not interested in your sexy calf. Like, get on with it. Anyway, that, yeah. I so just, you're not I concerned for his them. welfare. This isn't, this isn't, you're not worried about his shins. You, you, you're not kind of vicariously no. fearing about for his, 
for the, for the um, welfare of his lower limbs. It's just that you think he looks stupid. I, yeah, it's it's really quite. It's just as simple as simple as that. Of course, I am also like it makes me nervous. It it does make me anxious, and maybe mm. that's a part of it because I would never do. I would never do that. But I just it, it just it looks. Look, none of us like wearing shin pads. None of us. Mm. They're they're annoying. They 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 get itchy. They they smell if you, after a while. They're horrible. So they're horrible things. But we have to do it. And yeah. it feels like he's he's just cheating. It feels mm. like he's 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 the kid who's gone like I don't need shin pads. I don't. I, I can. No one will notice. I'm like I fucking noticed. And I want you to put them on. <laughs> and I want you to pull your socks up. Anyway, but it's completely ridiculous. On the aesthetic point, James, I'm. I, I mm. completely I kinda I'm on the fence about this. I, I I don't I don't mind the aesthetics of rolled down socks and non existent shin pads, but it, it bothers me more on a kind of visceral level because if you set aside hypothetical broken legs, torn knee ligaments or, or a fractured skull, nothing makes me shudder more than the prospect of getting like a toe to the shin. I I, 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 I just it would I have to have full protection at all times. During football, I can't bear the idea of having a toe to the shin. Same. I wear I wear pretty much the biggest shin pads I can find. If it was up to me, I'd be wearing like cricket pads, <laughs> like like a hockey up above hockey the goalkeeper. Knee. Yes. Yeah, but I do. I wear like shin pads that have got like ankle guards and because, like you know, I'm a rubbish footballer, so I get kicked and I kick people and they kick me back. I need all the protection I can get. I yeah, I think Grealish is taking a chance, but he has he has got. Nice chunky calves, if that's your sort of Ironically thing. enough, yeah. he is currently suffering from a shin injury. Well, I've no sympathy. <laughs> He's also one of the most fouled players in the Premier League, yeah. which just, it just seems like really playing with fire. Yeah, completely. <laughs> completely. How do we stand, Shura, where, we, where do you stand on ankle protectors? below the shin pad are you are you in are you are you going for those as well for me for me i love them yeah. for me i love them yeah no i i like them but i'm not really i'm not i don't mind if other people forgo them or well um there's been a lot of pushback amongst our listenership about ankle protectors because james dominic Ooh, booze says always wonder why pros never seem to wear the shin pads with ankle protection it was a staple of my junior teams they do seem to have disappeared a bit uh, jack lang takes us into mm. even more strident territory the athletics jack lang says delighted that ankle protectors seem to be going extinct awful things you wouldn't play the piano with random bits of cloth and plastic strapped to your knuckles and i say this as someone with objectively <laughs> brittle ankles can't argue with that. You can't argue with the logic. No, that's fair enough. Maybe I should reconsider. I just like the sort of added sense of security. It's an emotional dependency, to be honest, the ankle protectors for me. I am inclined. I've made the decision, Shura, that I'm going to cut off my ankle protectors for five aside tonight because I am going to, I'm going to do a trade-off between um, hypothetical protection and just mobility, which is uh, as... Similarly, similarly to you, I've had a year off five side, and I just find myself I cannot move, and I need some help. So off go the ankle protectors now, and I'm going oh, shin only. This is only. a dang- dangerous decision. We'll dangerous decision. We'll find out. I'll let you know. Feels like the next week's podcast. Look, we only gonna... live once that we know of, so it's it's yeah, it's it's fun to try things. What a uh, lovely turn of phrase. Wise words indeed. <laughs> right, tell us about your third hate. So my third hate is I was watching uh, the WSL and uh, there were um, something like four or four couples playing and I and I just think it's such a shame that the attitudes in in men's football towards things like racism and homosexuality it's are so different to 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 women's football and I was just I just wish uh, that that was something we could change and because I, I personally would love to see couples playing in the Premier League I think it'd be so fun and was so that together cute. or against love... each other both imagine <laughs> imagine against each other this drama together this drama. so say you know one one guy passes to his boyfriend uh, it's an assist and they win I mean how what an extra extra layer of just fabulousness uh, football is already incredible and and I, I think so my my dad who who hates football uh, but over the years through my love of football has really come to sort of understand and enjoy it what, the one thing he says that that football is is basically it is theater it's it's like Shakespeare and you know if you come to watch one football match you're going to be like oh yeah it's fine if it's nil nil you what, what's this about but the the best part 
of football is the stories and the rivalries and the history. And so you know um, that when Arsenal play Manchester United, you know that there's going to be yellow cards. You know there's going to be... It's all that extra, the kind of law that feeds into the, the individual spectacle, the games, that makes it fantastic. So if we can add kind of epic love stories to that, I just think... I just think it would be the best television programme in the world. We wouldn't need anything else. It would give us a hell of a lot more to talk about um, in terms of narratives for a game, James. <laughs> it would. I mean, people say, you know, people make the argument, well, the players' personal lives, none of our business. But I tend to agree with Shu on this in that I think, you know, it would add a lot. And like, if you're someone who is interested in the game from a kind of narrative, emotional aspect... That is a whole unexplored layer that could bring another dimension to our enjoyment of it. So I'm all in favour. But it's interesting because, yeah, that, that is, a, I guess, a difference that exists for fans of, you know, the Women's League as opposed to the men's. There is that element to it, that and, personal side that and, we don't have. And look, I'm not going to lie, probably half of the team I played with are gay. So I reckon there are probably more gay women in football than there are gay men. And, and, and that's fine. I get that. And but but we do you know we do we do get interested in footballers' love lives even if it's you know whether or not you think it's silly or not but you know we were we we were interested in Posh and Becks we we love all the kind of all that story so all the all those stories anyway um so I just think it would be I just think it would be fun and I want to see that picture there there was this really beautiful picture of um two uh, women uh, well is well, obviously two women a woman footballer whose name I, escapes me of course because I'm on a podcast talking about it and so why would it <laughs> why would it be there in my brain uh, to call upon and she's kissing her girlfriend in the crowd after they've won the world cup and I'm just like I want to see that I just want to see it just once and I know that the reason we don't is because of the attitudes so it's not it, it it's there must be some, and I and I'm, I I would never want anyone to come out before they're comfortable. But partly why they're not comfortable is because of the culture with, with within supporters, and 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 that is so di- different. I mean, you can see it's different between the WSL and, and the Premier League, and and I would love for that to ch- in my lifetime at least to change. That would be that would be amazing. James, I I don't want to be too flippant about this, but it but it is it is kind of like it is a a staple of the reporting of this um, that I've that I've noticed over the years, which which I feel is like. It's both silly in isolation and obviously in, in wider context, a huge obstacle to gay footballers in the men's game, which is the kind of the, the news cycle, which happens maybe sort of once a year where you get the silhouette on the front of a newspaper. And you just think this is such a ridiculous, childish way of going about it. Um, and, and at one point I would have been looking at the silhouette, trying to guess who it is. That, that's the kind of hold that kind of coverage would have had over me. And, I, and then I suddenly realised this is just a terrible way of addressing this, this potential issue. Um, but no one's allowed to come out in men's game because of this coverage that already precedes it. Yeah, and there was the situation a year or two ago now where there was the footballer on Twitter, I think it was playing in the championship, who said they were going to come out and they were documenting it on social media. Ultimately, they didn't. But, you know, it is that kind of slight, unpleasant witch hunt coverage I think that is so problematic and uh, yeah I, I really hope we can get beyond that and and I would love to think that this world this reality that Shura is talking about can come to pass in the men's game sooner rather than later It'd be a lovely thing um, on, on, a, on a deliberately flippant note Shura I just I just wonder that I mean if, if this reality ever did happen it would open up a whole new dimension for our coverage of football I, I, I quite like the idea of like a, a really kind of tenuous stat coming out that he scored against all four of his exes in the last six months and <laughs> 100% record I, I, I love yeah. the, I love the idea that I love the idea of people people meeting and falling in love whilst playing against each other in a Champions League second leg semi-final or like breaking up with one another because they, they didn't save a penalty and they were mad about that and had a, I just I just you know I would love that for the sport I think it would just be fabulous <laughs> and what about if a great on-field relationship like Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son if that blossomed into romance I, that would be a beautiful story it would be amazing it would be amazing and I would be here for it we could, have... we could ship it. We could ship it. We could have team, we could, you know, team Son when they broke up or team Team Kane. I... I had never considered the potential romance kind of backstory of 
players playing against each other in a Champions League semi-final. James, that might be the potentially the best where-did-you-meet story I've ever heard. <laughs> where did you meet? Oh, it was a high-pressure Champions League semi-final, actually. We were kicking the shit out of each other. I saw his tiny a, shin pads a, and I couldn't yeah. stop thinking about yeah. them. On that, on that increasingly it surreal It at least needs note. to be a movie if yes. it's not going to... Yeah, absolutely. Can we have a movie of it. Yeah, it would either be a really, really terrible movie or it could be a good one. Either way, I hope it becomes closer to reality. On, on that increasingly surreal note, Shira, thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure. It's so fun to talk about football. I love it. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We've covered slide tackles, absurdly brightly coloured goalkeeper kits, goals in added on time, which I think we can all agree with are truly wonderful. Your deeply held... Um, almost uh, psychosomatic aversion to penalty shootouts, which, uh, again, I guess we can all kind of sympathise with. Tiny shin pads. Specifically and, Jack Graylish's. Yes, specifically his. And the blossoming romance between opponents in Champions League semi-finals. What a cross-section. Yes. My pleasure. <laughs> Cheers to you, James. A, w- a welcome return to you to the Football Clichés podcast. My pleasure, as always, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thanks, both. And we'll see everybody next week. The Athletic. I'm Ellis James. I'm Mike Bubbins. And I'm Steph Guerrero. I would kill off with any footballer to get a Premier yeah, League absolutely. kit, would you? Not a problem. Ian Dowie. We've got a comedy podcast called The Socially Distant Sports Bar. It's Liverpool versus Arsenal here at Anfield. It's the big kickoff. New player Mike Bubbins, who got off with Ian Dowie in the week. Jurgen Klopp, of course, said that he's perfectly happy to play. Bubbins in a front three alongside uh, Salah Firmino. Bubbins, 48 years of age, has never played football, but he snogged Ian Dowie for two and a half to three minutes as stipulated. According to Premier League guidelines, Dowie said he's got no idea how good Bubbins is. Word on the street is that he's not great, he's morbidly obese. It's about sport, but not really. He's not fit and he doesn't know where to stand. His first touch is woeful, and I mean woeful. But he got off of the end. Howie, that's those are the rules. So it's, it's, it's a new guy that I don't agree with it. Gary don't agree with it. None of the explanations. Shut up! Shut up! I'm gonna die. Download it from wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>